0: In the book of Jeremiah, chapter 29, verse 13, the prophet says, If you look for me wholeheartedly, you will find me. In our search for God, we're finding out a lot of things. And when we look to the scripture for evidence, it just keeps piling up. And one thing about God, he is everywhere and he knows everything. Now, stop and think about that for just a second. He's everywhere everywhere. And he knows everything. You know, there are so many things that we just take for granted. There's so many things that we don't know. There's so many things that we wonder about. God's never done any of that. <laughs> He's never had to wonder. He's never had to guess. He knows it all. And I find a, a very uh, beautiful passage in the book of Romans. And of course, Romans is a. One of those difficult books when we start studying the scripture, we, we stumble onto the book of Romans and oof, sometimes it can blow our mind. And we start looking at some of what Paul wrote there. But I, I can kind of just give you a quick little synopsis of this little book and try to put it all in context. In the first chapter of Romans, if you're a Gentile, you're a sinner. There are two types of people in the world, two kinds of people. Uh, in Bible times, there were Jews and everybody else. So chapter one of Romans, if you're a Gentile, you're a sinner. And I can hear the Jews applauding. They're saying, oh, of course, we knew that all the time. But in chapter two, Paul says, if you're a Jew, you're a sinner. Chapter three, he makes the conclusion. He says, all have sin fallen short of the glory of God. Chapter four, he says, here's, here's how we're justified. We're justified by faith. It was reckoned Abraham he reckoned righteousness to Abraham. He put it in the in the column of the positive. When Abraham obeyed, it was like, okay, this is justification by faith. And chapter five, he says, while we're yet sinners, Christ died for us. And then chapter six, the death chapter, we have this idea of Christ dying and being crucified, and we, we have to join him in that crucif- crucifixion, and we are baptized into his death. And these these things become part of who we are. In chapter 7, he says, oh, wretched man that I am, who can save me? I I do the things that I don't want to do. I, I don't do the things I know I should do. In the conclusion, chapter 8, there's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. What a great conclusion. Chapter 9, 10, and 11, he says, here's the There's the point of all of this information. He says, this is a great God that we serve, and I'm searching for him. I'm looking for him. And here's what I find. Oh, the depth of the wealth and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how untraceable the paths he takes. For whoever knew the Lord's mind, or or who has become the Lord's counselor, or who has previously given to him, and it shall be recompensed to him, because of out of him, and through him, and for him are all things. To God be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Romans chapter 11, verse 33. Paul just can't stand it anymore. He has to just exalt God. He has to just praise God. He He's been looking, he's been searching for God, and here's what he found. The unsearchableness of God, the depth of wealth and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his ways. And we we see this in Paul's writing. And based on the accumulation of evidence throughout the scripture, theologians, people that study the Bible all the time, they're called theologians uh, after the Greek term. Uh, theos, which is the word God, the lover of God, and the studier of God, they've coined the term omniscient. And that just is a fancy little term. It just means he knows everything. He knows it all. And think about that. I've mentioned this just moments before, but God's never entertained a theory. He's never said, well, let me theorize. No, he's, his knowledge is complete. And perfect. But what does he know? Now that's a very interesting question. What does he know? Can we be more specific? We say everything. He knows everything, but specifically, what does he know? Well, everything that's physical or material. With our five senses, we we wander around in this universe that God's uh, created for us, and we find all kinds of things, very, very interesting things. And God says I know all of that. What keeps the earth spinning at the perfect speed? What keeps the earth at the perfect distance from the sun? What what keeps the sun lit? <laughs> what keeps it on fire? Maybe the better question is who? <laughs> yep. God says I know everything physical and material, but That's not all. We're living a time when people are trying to rewrite history, when they're trying to remove history. It's like, what? God says, I know all the past. I know all the present. I know all the future. (laughs) What else is there to know in time? God says, you can try to rewrite history. You can erase history. I'm not going to forget. He says, I know all the past. I know all the present. I know all the future. All things are laid open before his all-seeing eyes. Past, present, future. So not only does he know everything about the physical universe, about everything that's material, everything that we can weigh and measure and and see and touch and taste, and all the the five senses that bring bring into this uh, uh, being of ours, All that information, God says, I know all that. And he says, not only that, I know everything you're thinking. Before you even say anything. Hmm. What are you thinking? (laughs) Imagine if we could just for a moment listen to everyone's thoughts all at the same time. there'd be some really interesting thoughts. There'd be really bad thoughts, colorful thoughts, insightful. God says, I know everything. I know every person's thought. I look into the heart. There's a man that God knew, and he's described in scripture as a man after God's own heart. And we study about him in in the first Kings and, and really beginning first and second Samuel and And he is the the second king of Israel. His name is David. He is described in scripture as a warrior, as a mighty man of valor, as a conqueror, as a king. But he had some serious flaws in his character. He, He did some things that were very wrong, very sinful. God was not pleased. And yet, Acts chapter 13, he's described as a man after God's own heart. Well, what made him like that? What made him a man after God's own heart? Well, when he recognized his sin, when he came into face-to-face conflict or uh, in contact with his own personal sin, he didn't blame somebody else. He didn't blame his upbringing. He didn't blame his society. He didn't blame the color of his skin or the, uh, the, the, the type of religion that he was involved in. No. What did he say? He said, I've sinned. I've gone against the will of God. It's, it's me, it's on me. Please forgive me. That's what makes him a man after God's own heart. Now, we can be men and women of, after God's own heart if we follow David's example. And you see this man that David or that God knew every thought of David, every one of them. see, God has insight into our thoughts. And what's even more fascinating is our creator, our maker. He knows our every need. What do you need? Well, that list continues to grow, doesn't it? We we have all kinds of needs. And we, we make every attempt to fulfill those needs. Three times a day, we... Belly up to the table. Why? Because we need to eat. The government tells us we have to drink eight glasses of water per day. Hmm. All right. How are you doing on that? You need to drink water. I like to flavor my water with 23 flavors. (laughs) Yep. You see, we have specific needs. And God says, I know what you need. I created you, so of course I know what you need, even before you ask. And what's even more fascinating, he is anxious to provide for us. He wants to provide for us. He already knows what we need, and he just says, he just kind of waiting for us to ask him. The brother of our Lord, James, small little book toward the end of the New Testament, James says, you don't have because you don't ask. <laughs> If, if we need wisdom, we should look to God. If we need instruction, we should look to God. If we need something, we should ask God. And he will provide. He wants to provide. And this becomes part of our search for God. We, we start to realize who this is, our creator. And what's beautiful about this all-knowing God, he is interested in you personally, specifically, not generally, but you. Wow. How does he make time for all of this? (laughs) Oh, wait a second. He's not in time, is he? He's outside of time. It's fascinating to think that this all knowing God has Revealed himself to us in a written book. We call it the Holy Bible. It's the very mind of God we see in 2 Timothy chapter 3. It's the very breath of God. And this is what he knows. He knows the beginning from the end. He has declared the end from the beginning. He doesn't, doesn't, time doesn't make any difference to him. He knows the past. He knows the future. He knows the present. The deep, mysterious things that we still haven't figured out, God knows that too. And what lies hidden in the darkness, he knows that. Every created thing, he knows that. Deuteronomy 29, 29 tells us that the secret things belong to God. So there are some things that we'll never know. There are some things that are mysterious that we will never know. As smart as we are, created in God's own image, As smart as we are, we'll never know. The secret things belong to God. But that verse goes on to say those things revealed, those things written down, that information, that all-powerful wisdom and knowledge, it's been given to us and our children and our children's children. The very reason that we can sit here and study the Scripture today is because it was passed down to us. It has been revealed to our parents and their parents and their parents before that. And it keeps getting passed down. That's that's what I'm trying to do here. I'm trying to pass this information on to you. Hmm. Secret things belong to God, but the things revealed, they belong to us. Our children and grandchildren. You see, God has all of this information. God has all of this, this knowledge, this wisdom. Let me go back to that verse in Romans chapter 11. Oh, the depth of the riches... And wisdom and knowledge of God. Riches, wisdom, knowledge. Hmm. He knows everything about us. And you think about that, what does he know about you? Hmm. Well, let's start off with all the good. Let's start there. He knows all the good you've ever done. Now, how did that make you feel? When you were doing something good and you knew it, Made you feel pretty good? We have that word, good. (laughs) Thanks to God, we have a good word. (laughs) There's a difference between something good and something evil. However, God knows all of the evil you've ever done. I was talking to my father-in-law one time in a Bible class. 85 years old, and I said, Papa Don, how many sins have you committed in your life? 85 years old. So he starts figuring it out. He kind of does a little quick math in his head. He goes, well, see, if I was just doing one a day, that's 365 sins a year times 85. Whoa! What if it was two sins a day? What it was five. When we start doing the math, it starts adding up pretty quick. And that's just one old man. You look at my sins. Look at your sins. And all the people that exist right now, nearly seven billion of us. How many sins? And then throughout time, since Adam and Eve, ooh, Numbers are getting pretty big. If it's just one a day, <laughs> wow, God knows all of our sins. And he even knows the ones that we try to keep secret. <laughs> Got any of those? We call them skeletons in the closet. Got any of those skeletons? We all do, don't we? I'm not going to tell you about my secret sins just because the term Secret. Hello? Not going to tell you. Not happening. They're secret. God knows those two. He knows what we need before we ask. He knows, and this is bizarre, the number of hairs on your head. Some men my age are already missing quite a few hairs. God knows that he knows everything and what we come to this conclusion he alone has the wisdom to rule the world you know there's individuals there are nations try to rule the world they get up in the morning and they say that's what we're going to do today we're going to rule the world okay how are they doing with that anyway, by the way, these so-called rulers? <laughs> sort of chaotic, isn't it? We don't know which way's up if we listen to some of these people. It's like, seriously, God alone has the wisdom, has the knowledge to rule the world. These so-called rulers will answer to him. Thankfully, in our nation, we have... The ability, the the right, to vote them out of office. If we don't like what they're doing, if we don't like what they stand for, we don't have to bear arms against them. We can just vote them out. It's not. Other countries aren't quite as as fortunate. Other individuals and in other nations aren't quite as fortunate as us. But God knows everything, and it's not just that. He's everywhere. There's another phrase that we've coined called omnipresent. It just means he's everywhere at every time, and he's close at hand. It reminds me of a prophet, an Old Testament prophet. His name was Jonah. You might remember the story where a great fish swallowed him and and then spit him up on the land, and he went and preached to Assyria, and the entire the entire city uh, repented, and and God was pleased, but Jonah was displeased. But it's Fascinating to think that Jonah tried to run away from God. You ever try to run away from God? Sometimes, as people, we think we can get away from him. That's not happening. And because of our sin, because we have this imagination, we we think that we can. Make a separation between us and God. It's like, we can't get away from him. Nothing. He, he knows everything. We can't hide anything from him. Nothing escapes his vision. Nothing escapes his presence. We can't dig a hole deep enough to get away from him. We can't get ourselves into space so far that he's not there. He's everywhere. Jonah. Always running. He ran away from God. Then he God's got got his attention and Jonah started running toward God. And then Jonah ran with God for a while. Did what he's told. And then he ran ahead of God. Why don't you destroy these people? Jonah always running. He thought he could get away from him. God says, no, I'm everywhere. God says, I'm always faithful. I'll never fail you. I'll never abandon you. We sing a song in uh, an old hymn called, Great is Thy Faithfulness. Mm -hmm. Taken right out of the scripture. God is faithful. He's everywhere. And if we go back to the book of Romans, remember when uh, Paul is talking about Uh, the justification by faith, and he says, this is the benefit of being in Christ. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And and the conclusion of the matter is, be more like Christ. The question comes up, can anything separate me from the love of God? Well, let's read Romans 8, verse 35. Who will separate us from the love of Christ shall... Tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? All these things we are overwhelmingly conquered through him who loved us. I'm convinced that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Huh. What can separate us from God? Nothing. And I find that list interesting. There's two lists, if you notice. There's a list of seven. And you can do your own work on that, but seven's an interesting number. And there's a list of ten. Ten? These numbers are perfection in the Scripture. Seven is a combination of God's number. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. God's number is three. Three as one. And then Combine that with man's number, four, north, south, east, and west. There's four points on the compass. Our number combined with God's number equals perfection. You know what the doctors and nurses say when a person is born? The nurse will take the baby, the infant, over to a a table and and begin to dry the baby off. and, And the nurse does something very interesting. She'll count the fingers on the hand. And you know what the nurse says? She goes, I've got five and five. Then she does something interesting also. She counts the toes. Then The nurse looks up and she goes, I've got five and five. Perfect, I got a perfect little baby right here. Five and five, 10, perfection. But this list, there's a list of seven, list of 10. Can you think of anything else that could possibly get in the way? of God's love for you? The scripture tells us there's just one thing. There's only one thing. And it's a problem we all have. It's called the sin problem. Yep, sin. Three-letter word. It can mess everything up. Isaiah chapter 59 tells us God's arm isn't so short that he can't save. His ear isn't so dull that he can't hear. What's the problem, Isaiah? What's the problem if God's arm isn't too short and his ear isn't too dull? What's the problem? Verse 2 says of 59, Your sin has separated you from God. Your iniquity, the things that you do that are against God's will, this has caused him to stop listening to you. Hmm. What's the one thing? that can remove us from the love of God, our sin. Because he won't tolerate sin. You see, the scripture tells us God is intolerant of sin. We make justification, we tolerate it. We we look the other way, we sweep it under the rug. We do all sorts of things with sin, but God says, not me. I'm light. In me is no darkness, not one bit. That becomes a problem if we remain outside of Christ. Because our sin will cause an eternal separation from God. When we turn away, God says, I don't know who you are. That's frightening. The psalmist would write, oh Lord, you have examined my heart and know everything about me. You know, when I sit down or stand up, you know my thoughts. And even when I'm far away, you see me when I travel. When I rest at home, you know everything I am. When we approach God that way, when we start to realize the wealth of God, the knowledge of God, the wisdom of God, his ever presence. then we can write words like that. We begin to live the way He wants us to live. Hmm. Imagine that. Imagine living the way God wants you to live. You suppose you'd be comfortable? Supposed to be blessed? Well, we're not told that we'll be rich and wealthy and comfortable and blessed. But one thing we are told God will never forsake us, God will never turn his back on us. Oh, this, this earth, the problems of it, the worry of it, The grief of it. The tears in it. This is personal. This is temporary. And when we recognize that, God says, even if this earth treats you poorly, I've got a place prepared for you. See, God wants that heart that yearns for him. God wants you would be searching for him. God wants a relationship with you. Where we derive our knowledge really comes from God. It should. And when we search for him, he says, you'll find me. And when we find him, we'll find out that God is rich. We have a term, filthy rich. You know anybody It's filthy rich? God's filthy rich. God's filthy rich in goodness, in mercy, in grace, in glory. God's filthy rich in those things. He wants you to have your share of it. Yeah, that's how much he loves you. So keep looking, keep searching, and you will find him.